This is Revive Chicago. Listen and be changed. If you want to turn with me, I'm going to be preaching from the book of Matthew. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 18. And uh, I figured since we've got all the guests, all the first-time folks, you guys are probably looking forward to like a good hellfire and brimstone message or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the way to go, right? First time here, you're all going to hell, you're sinners. <laughs> or I could go the se- real seeker-friendly way and be like, Jesus loves you. And, no. He does, well, he does love you. I just, you, should, you should probably know that. But um, I've got an interesting passage that I feel like God put on my heart for this Sunday because it's actually one of the harder scriptures in the Bible. Uh, very, very challenging um, and yet very basic to Christianity. And so we're going to read one of Jesus' parables where he talks about forgiveness. And it's maybe even a familiar parable, so I don't know if you've heard it before, but what I tend to do as I preach is I tend to read through a scripture, and then we all kind of read it together, we're on the same page, and then I'll pick it apart and go through it so we get a good understanding, like, what does it mean? What's going on? And now that you all just sat down, one of the things I like to do is stand for the Word of God, just honoring the Word of God. So would you stand back up real briefly? If you're Catholic, you're used to standing up and sitting down. So this will, be, this will feel usual for you. My, my mom grew up uh, very strict Catholic, and I remember going and visiting my grandma in, in church and uh, standing up and sitting down. And I think, I think sometimes you just need to, it helps stay awake. Like maybe that's why the priest invented it way back. It's like it helps everybody stay awake. So this is Matthew chapter 18, verse 21, and it says this. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And he began, as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents uh, was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him and said, be patient with me. I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe me. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me. I will pay you back. But he refused, and instead he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could repay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. We'll pause there. You guys can all sit down. So there's a lot happening in this parable. And... One of the things I want to bring out just to start it off is Peter comes to Jesus and says, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother? And I noticed that a lot of more modern translations are like, how many times should I forgive my brother or sister? And they kind of make it, you know, like unisex for everybody. But we need to remember that 
Peter actually had a brother who was a disciple. And Andrew was probably standing right there. And you guys got a picture sometimes, like, this is ancient Jerusalem, Judea, Bethlehem. And they didn't get to Uber anywhere. They didn't get to ride their scooters. They were walking everywhere, right? And 12 guys for three years following Jesus in his ministry. I don't imagine they always got along. And so this is, let's just say this is a year and a half in. And Peter must have gotten fed up with Andrew about something. Like, how many times do I have to forgive this? What's going on, right? And so he's actually, I think, mad at his brother for something. Like, how many times do I have to forgive Andrew? And he says, what, up to seven times, right? Feeling like he's really generous, you know? Like, okay, seven times is kind of the limit, you know? Like, that's a lot to forgive somebody. And Andrew's like pushing six already, so <laughs> where's the limit here, Jesus? No, uh, it's funny because Jewish rabbis actually, they had a teaching that f- true forgiveness involved re- like a repentant heart. So if you ask somebody for forgiveness, then you needed to show signs of having repented and wanting to change your ways. And so get this, rabbinical teaching said three times. You forgive someone three times, and if they're not changing their ways, you don't have to forgive them anymore because they're just not going to change. They're not really sorry. And so I think this is kind of amazing because Peter, probably knowing what the rabbis taught, he's thinking, seven's a lot bigger than three. How about seven, Jesus? And Jesus looks at him and says, no, not seven. How about 77 times? And there's some translations that even say 70 times seven times. And some of you are like, okay, math on that, 490. Okay, so I'm going to start keeping a tally of all the times. And, and you, you, you can figure out like, okay, Jesus said 491, I don't have to forgive you. And I don't think that's the heart of this matter. What Jesus is trying to say when he, when he answers Peter's question and he says, I tell you not seven times, but 70 times seven times, he's picking a huge number on purpose. As if, as, as if to say, just don't hold a grudge. Just don't hold a grudge. Just plan on forgiving them. No matter how many times, I'm going to pick an absurd number. No matter how many times you have to forgive, forgive, because this is what my followers do. And we as Christians, like, we kind of know the concept of forgiveness. It's preached every Sunday. We're taught about Jesus and how he came to forgive us of our sins. And we kind of know we're supposed to forgive people. But then when real life hits and real issues come up, what do we do? Well, I don't have to forgive them this time. And we give ourselves kind of that right to hold a grudge. We give ourselves like, it's, it's happened too many times. I don't need to forgive you this time. You've said, I'm sorry, here's the limit. And we tend to put limits on people. And usually, who's the ones that are getting the limits put on them? People who are really close to you. Likely family members. Likely a close friend. Because they're the only ones close enough to you to offend you enough times. Right? Let's be honest. Anytime there's interpersonal relationships, there's going to be tension. There's going to be friction. Peter was probably mad at Andrew, like I said. Something happened. And Peter thinks he's being generous. And a lot of times, that's how we evaluate ourselves. 
Well, I'm being generous here. I've forgiven them so many times. This is the last straw. Jesus, how about seven? Right? That's kind of what we do. That's kind of the attitude that we take. And Jesus confronts that and comes up with an absurd number. If I'm Peter and Jesus says this to me, I'm going to be, I'm going to be shocked. Well, the rabbi said three. You just like multiplied that by a thousand. Come on, like what, what are you saying here, you know? And then he goes on and Jesus tells this parable that we just read. And what I, th- what I find really amusing as you study it a little bit is Jesus actually meant this particular parable to be kind of humorous and funny. But when we read it in English and we read it out of context with our culture, like none of you laughed while I was reading this. But in Jesus' day, as he's telling this parable, there's probably some chuckles going through the crowd because they know a little bit more of what's going on. So for instance, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began a settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. So we don't see the absurdity in this because we don't know what a talent is. Most of us are like, you know, like someone's talented at football or the violin or something. But this was a unit of money and it was a very large unit of money. It was basically huge bags of gold. So in our day, the equivalent of 10,000 talents is something like $100 million. Like an absurd amount of money. How do you even end up owing someone $100 million, right? Like that, that is so beyond our comprehension. You're like, I'd like to just have a million, you know? How do I owe somebody $100 million? How do you even get in that much debt? And then you couple that with the economics of the day. And this was more money than was in like a whole region. So um, we actually have, scholars have gone back and they, they found like inscriptions and um, markings from the day. They actually happen to know that the yearly revenue for all of Herod's kingdom was only 200 talents. So the revenue for an entire kingdom was 200 talents. And this guy owes a king 10,000 talents. So as Jesus is telling this story, he's using a very absurd number to get everybody's attention. And so the whole crowd is going to be like, yeah, 10,000 talents of gold. Like, how is that even possible? How do you even get in that much debt? And so there's going to be chuckles going through the crowd. They're going to know Jesus is actually purposely exaggerating this for a reason. And then we come along and we're reading it super hyper-literal, And we're like, all right, how much is this? And we're trying to measure it and we're trying to figure out. And Jesus is actually wanting it to be an exaggerated amount to get his point across. And it says, verse 25, So since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that his wife, his children, and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Now, we don't live in an era of slavery, thank God. But in this time period, now we kind of know something about this scenario that Jesus is painting for us, because this would not have had, like this was kind of looked down upon in Jewish culture specifically, what's happening here. So now we know that this was actually a reference to something a Gentile king would do. And a Gentile king would do to his people. 
this repayment of an absurd debt and selling them into slavery. So the Jews would have instantly been like, oh, okay, well, he's talking about Gentiles here. And so there kind of would have been this like, Again, amusing moment. Like, okay, he's not telling us a story about Jews. He's telling us a story about Gentiles. And he's telling us about an absurd amount of money. So the servant, oh, and um, it's crazy too because we, we actually know how people were valued in those days. So somebody would have been valued um, for maybe, I think the going rate, it sounds really bad. The going rate was something like uh, anywhere from 10 to 100 talents of gold. Okay, so still not even coming close to a tenth of what is owed after everybody is sold, right? And so the servant falls on his knees and he says what? Be patient with me. I will pay back everything. Well, if you understand, now we kind of understand the story a little bit and we're like, there's no way this guy's paying this back. His own life isn't even valued at that much. There's no way he's coming back from this. And so you see some of the humor in the story now and some of the tension that Jesus is building as he's telling this. And the servant's master, obviously fully aware that this amount of money will never be paid back, takes pity on him. And he looks at him and cancels the debt and lets him go. That's powerful. How many of you, I mean... I'm not Jesus, so I, I don't know if I could let someone with, if they owed me $100 million, I'm not letting them go. <laughs> right? Like, I'm just not letting you go. I don't know where I got the $100 million to loan you in the first place, but I'm still not letting you go. Uh, this is a powerful statement. Like, who lets someone who owes them that much just go free? Wow. And so you can see how this story, like, now the story's kind of getting good. You're like, wow, this is, this is crazy. This is a huge debt. It's an absurd amount of money. No one would ever forgive this. And yet here, this king forgave it. This king let him go. And I would think that this person who just got off, scot free with $100 million in debt, just wiped clean, would be a little bit grateful. Would be just a little bit thankful. Like, wow, I didn't deserve that. I, there's nothing I could have done. You could have sold me and my wife, my entire family, and it still wouldn't have come close to the debt. There's nothing I could have done. And now it's clean. The debt is gone. The debt is paid. I'm good. We're good. You'd think there'd be a little thankfulness, right? It's an absurd story, an absurd situation. And yet this man, instead of feeling thankful, what does he do? He goes out and he finds one of his fellow servants who owes him a hundred denarii. So again, most of us aren't familiar with Roman money and the values, but this is, seriously, this is like 20 bucks. He goes out and finds someone who owes him 20 bucks. He just got a hundred million dollars in debt canceled. And he goes and finds someone who owes him 20 bucks and says, pay back what you owe me. Now the crowd's really laughing. Like, this is crazy. This doesn't even make any sense, Jesus. Like, this is the craziest story I've ever heard. What is happening here? And it says, he grabbed him and began to choke him. I'm not going to demonstrate on any of you. Again, I don't want accusations of being that pastor. Uh, but, like, can you imagine? 
You just got $100 million in debt wiped free, and now you're going out and choking someone over 20 bucks. It's absurd. He says, pay back what you owe me. His fellow servant does exactly the same thing that he did a few moments before. And says, be patient with me. I will pay you back. I'm pretty sure he was going to be able to pay him back. 20 bucks? Like, yeah, eventually I'll have 20 bucks, you know? Like, this was actually a doable sum. This was a forgivable sum. This was, okay, I just got $100 million canceled. I can forgive you your 20 bucks, let alone give you the opportunity to pay it back. This servant chooses neither option. It says, verse 30, but he refused. Instead, he went off and he had the man thrown into prison until he could pay off the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Rightly so. Can you imagine being like one of the other servants in the household and hearing what happened? You wouldn't even be able to believe this. Like, how, how could something so absurd just take, like, how did I witness this with my own eyes? I'm going to go tell the king, right? And remember, we're talking Gentile situations. So the Jews are kind of listening in on the other people group. Like, this is how they handle their money. This is how they handle. And, and they're listening and kind of amused at this story as Jesus is telling it. Verse 32. So this is the part that I didn't quite get to as we were reading earlier. It says, so then the master called that servant back in, the one who'd gotten everything forgiven. And he says, you wicked servant, I canceled all of that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? So in anger, the master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And this is another point in the absurdity of it all. Because as, as Jews, law-abiding Jews, they didn't believe in torture. That was bad and wrong. So they're just thinking, they're like, but they knew Herod practiced torture. They knew the Gentiles practiced torture. And the reason that there would be torture involved, perhaps, is to get them to tell, up, to tell about some money source that they were hiding. So somehow, like, you've got the money, you're hiding it somewhere, you went and dug a hole and buried it in the ground, you're going to tell me, and so they torture him until they cough up the money or tell where it is. And so, again, the Jewish people that are listening to Jesus are hearing the absurdity of all of this. Like, wow, torture, these Gentiles are going crazy, you know? And this parable is so interesting to me because you can so quickly see how it pertains to Christianity. You can so quickly see how it pertains to our relationship with God. God isn't some unjust Gentile king who's wanting to torture you. But God is both merciful and just. And so when God forgives us of our sin, of our debt that we owe... he kind of has an expectation that we would go forgive. Like, that makes sense. I owe him everything I have, everything I am. I owe God. He forgave me. 
All my, all my sin, he forgave me. All your sin, he forgave you. The full debt, every bad thing that you've ever done, whether you even knew you did it or not, it's all been forgiven if you've asked the Lord for forgiveness. The slate has been wiped clean. And God says, I forgive you. And then we turn around and we pick that one person who ticked us off that owes us 20 bucks. And we're so mad, so upset. And we hold a grudge. Like the equivalent of their sin toward us and their offense toward us is 20 bucks. In the scheme of things, on the scale of the, the $100 million that you owe Jesus, and he said, nope, I paid the price. The worst offense that's been done against you is probably 20 bucks. You know what I'm saying? Like, we get, we get this just raw data picture, and you're like, I am overwhelmed by my sin, by my wrongdoing, by the things that I've been forgiven, the sheer amount of things that God has forgiven me. How could I ever be mad at you? How could, I, how could I ever hold a grudge? How could I be so mad that I would want to choke you? You're like, wow, pastor, you're getting graphic here. <laughs> like, let's think about that, though. That's kind of what we do as people. The stuff happens. Life happens. People make you mad. And maybe you had a right to be mad. Maybe you had a right to be hurt. But then what do we do? We hold on to that hurt. We hold on to that debt. And we keep an accounting of that debt. You owe me. Remember that 20 bucks from last May? You know what I'm saying? And we, and we do that with certain people. And then we put up walls because that, that person hurt us. And so we put up walls against that person. We put up walls against that family member. We put walls up against those friends. And we basically kind of put them in jail in our own mind. You hurt me. You owe me. And maybe they never ask you for forgiveness. So you're like, well, I don't have to forgive them. Jesus doesn't, like, when he talks about forgiveness, he never says they have to ask for it. He just says, as a Christian, you forgive. How many, when, when Peter asked Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother? Peter doesn't say Peter, that Andrew ever asked for forgiveness. He just says, how many times do I have to forgive? For your own sake, for your own sanity, you have to forgive. Why? Because you've been forgiven. You've been forgiven for a lot. Jesus paid the price, and you got, you got your get-out-of-jail-free card. You know what I'm saying? You, you got off free. And that's kind of the message of Christianity, that guilty people go free. Jesus didn't say, oh, you're not guilty. You're not a sinful person. Oh, you never mess up. He doesn't say any of those things. He says, despite that, I'm going to forgive you. And I'm going to set you free. 
And so it's interesting to me that Jesus actually has an expectation that we would go and forgive other people. That's the default setting. Like basically, you just need to practice that. Remember that number we talked about 490 times? You just need to plan, plan on forgiving everybody. That's what you should do. You don't get to hold grudges. You don't get to hold on to unforgiveness. You don't get to stay angry and let it fester and get bitter. You must forgive. You have to. Otherwise, have you really been forgiven? Like if you, if you find yourself not being able to forgive, have you really been forgiven? Is that, I mean, Jesus did. He paid the price. He said he forgave you, but like you're not acting as a forgiven person would act. A forgiven person by very nature forgives. It's like saying to be human means to breathe. Right? Like a human being breathes. Everyone in here still breathing. Looking at some of you. No. It's like everyone in here is still breathing because that's part of what it means to be human. To be Christian means A, you've been forgiven. And B, you forgive. Forgiven people forgive. That's the default setting. That's the Jesus way. And that's where this gets really challenging. Because we're also human and we're like, forgiving people isn't fun. I kind of want to hold on to this. I want, I, it feels good to be angry sometimes. Some of you are looking at me like, I don't want to admit that. <laughs> I'm the pastor and I'm admitting it. Come on. <laughs> It feels good to be angry sometimes. It feels, but what you're doing if you do that is you're feeding your flesh. And you're feeding an attitude of unforgiveness. And you are actually acting as absurd as this servant. Because on the scale of what you owe God and what other people owe you, it's 20 bucks, guys. It's an absurd amount. And we, we, we're pinching pennies, man. When we're looking at our relationships with other people, that's what we do. And we're, we're counting other people's sins against them. And we're making, and remember what you said to me last Christmas? And remember, blah, blah, blah. And like, I, I was talking to a guy yesterday. I was, at, I was at a wedding. I was talking to a guy. And he told me about situations growing up when he was eight years old with his, with his brother, who was one year older, and bullied him. That's a long time. And, and the cool thing was that he had reconciled with his brother and they'd kind of come to an agreement. But at the same time, like, those hurts were still there. Those hurts are still real. And I'm not trying to tell you that there's no debt. I'm not trying to tell you that other people, like, you need to just pretend like other people haven't really hurt you. Christianity isn't a game of pretend. Okay? Forgiveness means there was something to forgive. Right? I understand that there's real pain. There's real hurt. There's things that have been said and done to you. There's probably people in this room that have had crazy things done to them that they did not deserve. Maybe even as far back as your childhood. Things that were not right. Things that were unjust. But if you hold on to that and you refuse to forgive, you're really only hurting yourself. 
and you're not acting as a Christian. You're holding yourself back from moving forward, what, being free as God designed you to be free. Jesus came and paid the price so that you could be free. Free enough to forgive other people. That's so powerful. It's so powerful to me. And this last line is the one that I think we can wrestle with a little bit because the last line, like verse 34 says, in anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. And this, this is verse 35. Jesus, Jesus said this. I'm not saying this. Jesus said this. He said, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brothers from your heart. Whoa. Torture? Really? Maybe this is a hellfire and brimstone message. No. <laughs> like, what, what does Jesus mean by that? What is he actually saying? And as I was getting ready for this message, like one of the things I, I even have, like I have a bunch of commentaries, I have a bunch of th books that I study and pull out and find what different people are saying. And th this line is actually in a book called Hard Sayings of the Bible. Because this is something to kind of wrestle with. But I think in context, because Jesus is telling this parable in an exaggerated way, and he's wanting us to understand these just crazy differences, $100 million, 20 bucks, you know? We also are understanding it, we've come to an understanding today of the difference between Jews and Gentiles, and Jews did not believe in torture. So what is Jesus saying here? Is he saying, you're going to get tortured if you don't forgive? No. What he's saying is, you will be treated as the Gentiles. You will not be part of God's family. If you refuse to forgive, God doesn't have any recourse. Like, you're not acting as a forgiven person, so why would he, like, how can you be in his house? Forgiven people forgive. So if you refuse to forgive, you are acting as the Gentiles do. Does that, does that make sense to everybody? You're acting, you're saying I'm a Christian, but you're acting as a non-Christian. What you're doing is you're forcing God to treat you as a non-Christian. You're claiming to be one of, one of us, if we're going to insider speak, right? And then acting as someone who's never been forgiven and never heard the gospel. And it doesn't compute. So what Jesus is saying is like, this is how your heavenly father will treat you. Is He's saying he's going to have to treat you as an outsider because you're acting like an outsider. That's heavy. It's not quite as heavy as torture, but you get the point, right? Like, God's not a God of torture. God's a God of love. But if you refuse to act as his child, if you refuse to act as a forgiven person, then he has to treat you as if you were an unforgiven person. Because otherwise it's unjust. God is both merciful and just. In his mercy, he has forgiven you of your debt, of your sin. That's powerful. So powerful. But then if we turn around and refuse to like, hey, pass it on. Hey, pass it on. If we refuse to forgive, it's unjust if he just lets that go. Like, oh, you get a free pass at mercy, but you don't have to give it to anybody else. 
Like that's not going to work. That's an unjust system. But if you, as a forgiven person, can forgive, well, that's the kingdom of God. That's the kingdom of heaven. That's how this is supposed to work. Forgiven people forgive. And so as we develop in a tight-knit community here, we call ourselves Revive Chicago Church, there's going to be plenty of opportunities for offense. Let's just be honest. There's going to be opportunities for you to rub someone else the wrong way. There's families in here. There's going to be opportunities for another family member to rub you the wrong way, to make you mad. I just don't understand why they did that. Why did they say that? What's going through their head? Have they lost their mind? Like, there's so many opportunities. And you can let that fester, and you can refuse to forgive, but you are actually then making yourself an outsider. You're not acting, you're not acting as a forgiven person. And the final line that Jesus says here is, he says, unless you forgive where? From your heart. Oh, wow. Okay, this is, getting real, this is getting really deep now. Like, it's not just, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Yes, I forgive you. Yeah, right? Like, it's not just words. He's actually challenging your heart because only you know if you've really let something go. I can hear you say the words, but you know whether you're working to forgive you know whether you're letting it go. Is it from your heart? Is it for real? Or is it just because you have to? Well, God said I have to forgive you, so I forgive you. Nobody's laughing. Maybe I'm being a little too convicting here. You're like, uh. <laughs> Think about it for a second, guys. From your heart. Jesus came and he speaks to the heart. He speaks to the heart of the matter. He's not trying to create some superficial law that you can just, everything's black and white. Do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this. He changed it up and he said, where's your heart? What's going on in here? Can you forgive? Can you let go? God doesn't want to treat you as an outsider because he bought and paid for you as his own. He paid the price. He wants you to be his. He wants you to live like he does. This is what Christians do. Christians forgive. And I want to be clear here too a little bit because I've talked with many of you about offenses. We've had personal conversations and there's things that happen. There's hurts that have happened that we've talked about. And there's probably things that are going to happen here in the future. And you're like, well, okay, I understand what you're saying, Pastor. I understand that I need to forgive. I understand I need to let go. I understand it needs to be from the heart. But this person keeps hurting me and they're refusing to acknowledge it. What do you do in that situation? Like, I'm not, I'm not up here preaching like, you just need to keep taking abuse. If you're in an abusive situation, like, I'm not telling you to stay in an abusive situation because that's not what forgiveness means. 
Okay? Forgiveness doesn't mean you just stay in an abusive situation and just let it happen, let it happen, let it happen. And if you are in an abusive situation, come talk to me because we can start to make some changes, okay? Um, but I, I want to make sure in interpersonal relationships that forgiveness doesn't turn you into a doormat. This isn't me up here preaching and saying, you just have to let everything go and let everybody do whatever they want to you, say whatever they want to you. This isn't, you can't stand up for yourself. That's not what forgiveness means. Jesus was a very strong person. Guys, Jesus, when he's preaching, if you go read this gospel, you just read the book, the book of Matthew, and you hear some of the things that he says to the Pharisees, like, wow, this guy was not a pushover. This is like, walking up to a politician of our day and challenging them. That's the type of things that Jesus was doing. Jesus was not a pushover. Jesus was, didn't just let anybody do and say whatever they wanted. He challenged them openly. But he did so without harboring unforgiveness in his heart. That's the challenge here. That's what we're trying to talk about here. Because I think, um, I think you can set healthy boundaries. This is a topic for another time, but I just, I feel like I'm supposed to at least acknowledge it so we can, maybe you need to have the conversation with me personally uh, later on. But like, if you need to set healthy boundaries in a relationship, do so. Jesus isn't saying, forgive everybody and be everybody's doormat. And I think that's sometimes what we hear. Jesus is saying, forgive from your heart. That's our challenge. But we need to keep it in its proper context. And so one of the uh, little analogies, and several of you in here have heard me use it, is like if, if I walk up to you and I, I shake your hand and I manage to smash your toe, well, like I walk up and I step too far and I got, I got big feet, so I step on your toe and just smash your toe. And I'm like, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to do that. Like it's going to probably be pretty easy to forgive. Some of you, it's your first time here, and you're like, well, that was a good first impression. But most of you are going to be like, that was easy to forgive, you know? But then if I walk up to you a second time, and I go to shake your hand, and I manage to smash your toe, you're like, what is with this guy? And I'm apologetic, and I'm like, I am sorry, I didn't mean to do that. You're like, oh, okay. But the third time we go to shake hands, you're going to be like kind of you know, backing up a little bit, extending that arm a little further to make sure your toes are in the clear, right? It's a proper boundary because somebody hurt you and they're not acknowledging the boundary. They're not acknowledging the pain that they're causing you, right? And I, that's just a, a, a silly analogy, but it actually, it makes a lot of sense. It pertains to a lot of our relationships and the things that go on in marriages, the things that go on in family and extended family, the things that go on in close business partners, the things that go on in close friendships. Because people are going to unknowingly hurt you. And sometimes, get this, they're going to knowingly hurt you. Anyone who's been married longer than six days knows this. Like This person is actually purposely trying to say something that hurt me. Why would they do such a thing? Because they feel hurt. And you've got to forgive anyway. You've got to figure out, how do I create a healthy boundary for this relationship so that it can flourish without getting bitter on the inside? 
How do, we, how do I talk to my wife in a way that causes her to flourish? And so if I find out that something I say or some way that I talk hurts her, how can I change that? But if she just gets bitter and closed off, I might never learn. If she never addresses it, never stands up like saying, hey, this hurts me. The way that if you talk to me this way, it bothers me. I didn't even know that. I'm a guy. <laughs> you know, like we talk differently. We communicate differently. It's like, okay, I'll learn something new. And we've been, we've been married 15 years. We've been through different stages in our relationship. Those types of conversations happen pretty early in our relationship. But sometimes people get married, stay married, and slowly the wedge just gets bigger and bigger and bigger because there's things they don't talk about. There's topics that are off topic. There are things that can't be said because unforgiveness has crept in and we've started to hold things against someone that's close to us while still acting like we're a forgiven person over here. And you know what? The crazy thing is, this isn't the only time Jesus talks about this. There's multiple places in Scripture where he talks about forgiveness. Where he talks about forgiving everybody. You know, after the famous Lord's Prayer, it gets through the whole, our Father in Heaven, at the very end of it, you know how it finishes out? He says, forgive others as God has forgiven you. If you don't, your sins won't be forgiven. What translation is that? <laughs> That's what he says, point blank. He says, your sins won't be forgiven if you refuse to forgive others. Why? Because of the context we're bringing out here today. And hopefully I made this parable interesting in a way that we can all understand it. And we go, you know what? God has to treat me like an outsider if I'm going to act like an outsider. Outsiders refuse to forgive. Insiders, people who have been forgiven, act forgiven by extending forgiveness. That's the challenge here today, friends. And this is a hard message. Like, it's an easy message. Like, you go, well, what did he preach about? Oh, he preached about forgiveness. Oh, yeah, that's Christian, you know. It sounds nice, right? It's like, oh, forgiveness. So nice. Like, but that was actually like a really convicting message. Because <laughs> I have to do it now. Right? I have to do it now. You have to go do it now. You're kind of responsible for what you know. The Bible says to forgive. Jesus says to go and forgive from your heart. Because you've been forgiven. And that's the message that I feel like God wanted me to share with you today. Forgive. Go forgive. Act as someone who's been forgiven. Realize what God has forgiven you of. How big of a debt that was. God forgave you. So you go and forgive. Would you stand with me today? I think the title of this message today is going to be forgiven people forgive others and it's such a simple concept you know 
I could have done a pop quiz at the beginning of this service. And some of you, you're like, this is your first time here. And I could have asked you about forgiveness and you'd have been able to tell me about forgiveness. This isn't like some mind-blowing revelation. It's like, yep, this is kind of, this is what Christianity is. But messages like this are important because it reminds us, yeah, this is, this is the foundation. This is, this is it. This is what Christianity means. This is what it means to live it. I want to be the type of Christian that lives it. And I want to encourage the people in my church to live it, even if it upsets children. But no, to, to live it, to really do this. And say, God, thank you. Thank you for forgiving me of all my sin. The least I can do is forgive someone else. The least I can do is forgive others. So let's pray and just say, Jesus, thank you for paying my debt, for forgiving my sin. I am so grateful. Help me to go and forgive others. To not let it stop with me. But to go and actually do what I say. And to forgive from my heart. Change me. Help me. Wash me. And make me new. So that I can do your words. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. Now it's time to put your faith into action by applying this word to your life. If you'd like help taking your next steps with Jesus, contact us at revivechicago.church.